0: Hello,
1: good evening everybody, hi how's everybody doing, Um, lift up your hands just to acknowledge that you can hear what I'm saying and I'm not talking to myself. Awesomeness, awesomeness. Before we start tonight, by the way, I brought some hand sanitizer, So you might want to reach out your hands to the screen so we can get this thing started right. So I'm going to sanitize everybody to make sure that we are observing protocol and doing what is necessary to be done. Yes. (laughs) So uh, what is your story? Um, By the way, my name is Debza. I am a member at Christchurch Midrand. for those who don't know me. And I am also part of the Irene live group, which uh, without bragging is probably the best one. Um, but this is not a competition. I'm sure you guys' live groups are good, but uh, we, just, we just have the best team. Um, uh, tonight we will be diving into our four week uh, series on um, COVID has shook my life and now what? Um, obviously, we've all been dealing with a lot of challenges uh, throughout this time, throughout this pandemic. I can see by some faces um, that lockdown weight is starting to show, but that that, that is not going to deter us. Tonight, we will be chatting with um, Dr. Chris. He will be speaking. He will be speaking. He will be speaking to us um, about mental health and COVID, and uh, we will. Um, Uh, We will link to Dr. Chris in just a second. But before we do, um, let me pray for us uh, as we dive into today's sessions. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Father God, that we can use technology to meet and gather with one another. Though we cannot be with each other physically, Father God, we thank you that we can be with each other uh, spiritually that Lord, we believe that it is you who draws us together and we are um, servants on a mission. We are redeemed servants on a mission, Lord God, and we pray that you would continue to um, lead us to you and draw us closer to one another, Father God. And we pray for um, Dr. Chris as he speaks to us um, on mental health and um, COVID. We we pray, Lord God, that we can um, <clears throat> lend our hearts, and ears to what we have to hear tonight in Jesus name. Amen. So um, I'm not going to waste too much time, just a couple of house rules. Please do remember to keep your videos on mute, but I think Gareth will do that anyway. Um, I see some people are still joining us, uh, like Martin, um, who's late, but we're not going to make that an issue. Uh, nonetheless, those are some uh, house rules. This is an interactive session for everybody to know. So please do, um, as Dr. Chris is talking, do type out your questions and send them to me, okay? You can, or, or send them to the chat. And um, after the session, we will um, grab a couple of questions that we can hopefully pose to, to, to Dr. Chris after this session. So without further ado, I'm going to link to you um, Dr. Chris in over to you.
2: Right. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Good. If I'm, not, uh, if I'm not loud enough, please just shout or throw things or fall asleep or something like that. I'm used to people falling asleep when I speak. I taught at university for nearly 40 years. So I'm used to people falling asleep while I talk. It's very useful if you've got kids. Um, but anyway, the, my name's Chris. I've been a doctor. I became a Christian in my first year at medical school in 1971. So I've been a doctor for 45 years, um, taught at university. I've been working in psychiatry outpatients department part of the time uh, for more than 30 years. So I've got quite a lot of experience in that sort of thing. And I've been around, I've been a Christian and I've lived in Cape Town for the last 40 years. Uh, Cape Town's got its upside and downside. It's got a nice lump of rock next to it that we can look at and, and see around the bottom. So that's quite nice. It's also got one of the highest murder rates in the world. And many of my patients come from the communities that are the beneficiaries of that murder rate. So that's my sort of background. I'm married to Sarah, who's amazing, and I've got six kids who the youngest is about to turn 30. So that's the sort of background for me. Now, what are we going to do tonight? I'm going to talk a bit. And what I want to do is talk generally about the brokenness of the world, what God's story is in relation to that. And then home in particularly on the whole subject of depression and anxiety. You know, depression and anxiety have got a a bit of a mystique to them and we kind of think you've either got it or you haven't got it. And what is depression and have I got it and what do I do with it and and that sort of thing. And I like to think of depression and anxiety is at the end of the spectrum of what it's like to live in a broken world. And We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that as we go along, but in actual fact, it's not like a specific disease, like you've got athlete's foot. Uh, we all suffer. The world is a broken place, and there's a tremendous amount of suffering in the world. And the the question is, how do we get our head around that? Some people suffer more than others. We're conscious that some people. You look at their lives, and you want to. Cry, looking at the amount of suffering that they face and the difficulties from early childhood and so on. They've got this disease, they've got this illness, they've lost a child, they've got broken home situations and so on and other people seem to get off quite lightly. To be honest the Lord's been very really kind to me and my life has not been as nearly as hard as the lives of many of the people that I see in my clinic. But as I've thought about the suffering of the many people that I see, just about all human suffering, the most human suffering by far is caused by people. You know, sometimes you say, "Why? why does God allow so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much suffering? And I've thought a lot about it. And as the people come and see me week after week, most of the suffering that they experience is caused by people. Sometimes it's caused by them themselves, and you can look at it and you can say, my friend, actually you're the problem, although one hesitates to say that, but it's often that's the case, or alternatively, it's the people around them, and person after person comes to talk to me about close family members and the people around them and so on, or the people in their community, I have a friend who's a pastor in Lavender Hill, which is a a uh, very tough area in Cape Town. And he told me just recently, um, over a period of nine days, there were 42 murders in his area. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is gangsters, killing gangsters. But he said he was sitting holding the hand of a man, an old man, whose six-year-old grandson had been shot in the street. Okay? Now, yeah, there's a lot of hardship. And so much of that is caused by people. And sometimes people say, Where's God in all of this? Well, we're going to look at that. But much suffering is caused by people. But having said that, a lot of suffering is inside of us. In fact, if we don't suffer inside of us, we don't suffer at all. Trees don't suffer. Rocks don't suffer. Why? What is suffering in a human sense? And in a very real way, it's something that happens inside of us. Sometimes you'll see someone, uh, a friend of mine's dad became a Christian many years ago, and within a year or so, he was dying of cancer of the stomach. And our pastor said he went to see him. And he said, actually, he went to see him to encourage him, and he, he came back inspired. He said, this guy was so happy that he was going to die and go to heaven. He wasn't suffering at all. He was incredibly upbeat. And so some people... Their circumstances are terrible, but they're incredibly positive. And some of my patients, I look at them and I think, you're just amazing, just amazing. They don't seem to be suffering at all, despite their circumstances. You live in Lavender Hill, but actually you're upbeat. And then there are other people whose lives are actually pretty good. They don't have any serious illnesses. They're happily married. They've got all the the different things that they need, and they're actually miserable and they want to die. Now what's that? Well the suffering there is not coming from their circumstances, it's coming from inside of themselves. And when we talk about depression often we're talking about that although sometimes people are depressed because of their circumstances. You know they're depressed because their beloved wife or husband died six months ago and their lives just fallen apart. And so suffering Suffering is part of living on earth, okay, we'll, we talked just now why, but in a very real sense suffer, a big part of suffering is within us and whether we call it depression or whether we call it circumstances or whether we call it anything else, that suffering is what we want to talk about tonight and how do we cope with it, how do we cope with it, usually depression and that sort of thing is caused by a number of different things together. Uh, But the question is not what's causing it. And often we think, if only I can find the cause, I'll solve it. And I don't always spend a lot of time trying to find causes for people's depression. You know, knowing the cause doesn't necessarily solve the problem at all. I, I tend to have an attitude that says, look, whatever the cause is, we've got to make it better for the future. So... We live in a broken world and suffering is there and depression happens to 10 or 15 percent of people which is between about one man in 10 and about one woman in six has a major depressive episode in their life anxiety is more common and it can be crippling so they're common problems now the question is why is it like that and sometimes people say if God is a God of love and he's so kind and so loving and if the Bible says anything it says that God is kind and loving. We mustn't let that slip out of our minds. God is indescribably kind and loving. But if God is like that and he's God, why is there so much suffering? Why is the world such a shambles? Can I tell you a story? Jesus told a whole lot of stories and I want to tell you a story and and then I'll tell you a bigger story, which is God's story. Imagine there was a man who was a great, leader a great king or whatever very wealthy man and he had a son he had a son that he really loved and he wanted the very best for his son and so he said to him, son i've got a perfect wife lined up for you in the future you're going to be married to her she's going to be fabulous she's going to bring you an enormous amount of happiness and you need to go and get her But I must tell you the situation, it's not going to be easy to get her. Right now, she's in a foreign country, a totalitarian country. She's locked up in a castle. She's chained in a dungeon. And you're going to have to go and get her. You're going to have to go and get her. I've betrothed her to you. She doesn't know it, but I've betrothed her to you. And I want to tell you, she's going to be the most wonderful wife you could possibly imagine, but you're going to have to go and get it. The son trusts his dad, with very good reason. And so he goes, he's got to go to this country. It's brutal. He's got to learn the language, because people don't speak his language. And he goes and lives in that country and learns the language and finds his way to the central castle, um, which is heavily guarded, where she is. He thinks, how am I going to get in there? But he does. And he fights and he finds his way and all the rest of it. Maybe he dresses up as a peasant or something and finds his way in. And slenters into the castle, gets in somehow, gets into the, goes down into the dungeon. Huge risk of his life. Tremendous danger. Somehow he breaks into her cell and there she is, chained, uh, chained to the wall. And he breaks the chains. She doesn't even know who he is, but he breaks the chains and he says, come, I'm going to free you from this place and he takes her in his arms, and he takes her out. Remarkable story, I can't give you all the details, but let your imagination go on, okay? And and he gets her out, and he takes her out, and he takes her through the country, and he takes her right to the borders of the country, and and gets her out, and then he takes her home. And you think, now if this is a standard story, you'd say, and now they all live happily ever after, but you say, not yet, not yet, takes her home. And he says, For a while, you're going to have to live back home. I've got you out of this place, but you're going to have to live at home with your family and with the difficulties and such of life, and you're going to live there for a while. But one day, I'll come back for you. While you're here, I will provide for you. I'll provide for your financial needs. You've got all sorts of emotional and physical problems from being in that prison. I'm going to send you money. I'm going to send you healthcare. I'm going to send you all kinds of things that you need. I'll be in touch. I will SMS you the whole time, right? The uh, I'll send you messages. I'll send you messages on a fantastic cell phone, just like I've got here, right? And uh, I'll be sending you messages and I'll be contacting you. And one day, one day I'll come get you. Now that's a parable who okay. has ears to hear yeah. okay. Let me tell you the real story which is God's story and you can see the parallels. The biblical picture is that there is a God who's incredibly clever and incredibly artistic and incredibly gifted and indescribably kind and loving you cannot understand. As a Christian person, you must understand, as anybody, you've got to understand God is indescribably kind and loving. And that is true. That's absolutely true. The book says that on every page. And that God made a universe. And that God has a son. And that God wanted a body of people who were like him in some ways, to be with his son forever. And what did he do? He made an earth. How long it took to make it, we're not going to fight about, but he made an earth and he put people on it. But the problem is those people, though they were similar to God in many ways, the book says they're made in the image of God. And when it says you're made in the image of God, it means you're a a small version. You're like a, a little scale model of god you like god in a lot of ways but we're not god but each of us is like god we think god thinks god loves we have the potential to love god cares we have the potential to care Um, we have all sorts of characteristics that god that god does but the book says at the beginning people declared war on god and they said God's rules were quite simple. I want you to love me with everything you've got. And I want you to love the people around you just as much as you love yourself. That's the rules of the book. And they rebelled against him. How do you love God? Well, you do what he says. He's God. But in fact, they spat in his face and they walked away from him. And all of their descendants, likewise, are in the same position. That is why there's so much suffering on earth. Because to a person as we come into this world, we have an attitude that it's me first, and everybody else comes second, or maybe 150th, but it's me first. I love me first, and if there's anything left over, I'll give it to somebody else. And there's no way I'm gonna to submit to God. And that's what we like. And you see that, I see that in my clinics every week. I see the consequences of that. And people treating each other atrociously. Or people who don't know any better because they learned, that's what they learned when they were kids. So God sends his son. And he sent his son, firstly, to provide justice. In South Africa, boy, there are so many people who are saying, where's the justice? We want justice. What about the justice that's happened? There's something inside of us as people that demands justice. Dogs don't want justice, lions don't want justice, sharks don't want justice. Why do we want justice? Because we're made in the image of God and God wants justice. It's built into us because it's built into him. The sense of justice is the part of being a human being. And Jesus came firstly to provide justice for a world which hates God from its very gates. And so he provides justice. But on top of that, there are these people on earth who actually need to be set free. They're imprisoned by their own sinfulness, by their own hard-heartedness, and they're suffering as a consequence. Suffering because of consequence of their own behavior. And so Jesus comes, and what he does is he provides a way that people can be restored to what they should be. So he comes and he lives and he dies and he rises from the dead and provides the means whereby people can be transformed. And then he goes, he returns to the Father and he sends someone else called the Spirit who actually will apply all of that to us. And what God then does is one person at a time he puts together a bride for his son. But Jesus was not only one man, he's God. And one person's not enough for a bride. And so he has a bride, which is millions upon millions of people. But they've got to be changed. So that's what the biblical message is all about. God is one by one bringing people to himself, changing their nature. So that they actually want to love him. When you become a believer, you want to love God. You realize you only love God 1% of what you should, but you want to love Him, and you want to love other people, and you want to be kind, and you want to be good, although you hash it up all the time, but you change, you change, and one day, that son will come back for his people, one at a time, and then ultimately for the whole lot. Now that's, that's the biblical picture. The problem is, for us now, whether we or not we are part of his bride, whether we're not we're part of his people, we still got to stay here. Just like that romantic story I told you, the, the, uh, the bride had to go back home and stay there with all the difficulties of that home. We still live in this world that is broken. It's broken because of what our ancestors did, and I don't mean our recent ancestors, I mean the original two. And it's broken because of behavior of people like me. It's broken because of the way we treat each other. And that's where we find ourselves in the whole situation of depression. And so I see person after person, they're depressed because of what's happened. They're depressed because They've got a, a mother who's a control freak and bullies them. You say, do mothers behave like that? I say, you better believe that some do. Okay? Or a father who's been abusive. Or a spouse who's been either physically violent or verbally violent and torn them apart. Or they were assaulted by a neighbor. Or they were raped. Or there was this or there was that. Or maybe, actually that hasn't happened. But there's something inside them that makes them suffer and they get desperately unhappy and they don't know why. And They come to see me and they talk to me and to be honest I don't know why. They just feel dreadful. They just feel dreadful. Now as I said I don't spend a lot of time trying to dig into people's history and past to try and find out why they're sad. Because I'm not sure that that's always terribly helpful. Sometimes it is, but often it just isn't. And they just remember things they would be better to forget. But the question is, how do we fix it? Now, if we're talking about depression, we're talking about depression, there's a bunch of things that tend to happen together. I often say to people, you know, depression is like, imagine if you were, say you're a married person, and imagine you're, husband died or your wife died and maybe one of your children died and then the house burnt down and you didn't have any income. Imagine what you'd feel like. Now imagine if you felt like that when none of that had happened and your husband's still alive and your kids are still alive and they're doing well and you're healthy but you feel like that. That's what depression is. Depression is feeling dreadful and feeling dreadful And maybe there's no reason. To be honest, maybe there is a reason. Maybe you fled from violence in the DRC and you're in South Africa and you're alone and you saw members of your family killed and actually you just feel horrible. And sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares and all the rest of it and and you feel horrible. And actually you do know why. And that horrible feeling, it can be sadness, it can be fear, it can be a desire to die because it's so bad here, you think it can only be better if I was dead. It can be lack of motivation. Some people aren't sad when they're depressed, but they've just got no motivation to do anything. They don't enjoy anything. They used to enjoy going to the soccer and watching the soccer, but they're not interested in soccer anymore. They don't have the energy to get out of bed. Maybe they want to sleep all the time, mostly, but 80% of depressed people can't sleep at all. They talks to sleep. And there's all of these things there that are sometimes obvious and sometimes not so obvious. That combination is depression. Now, anxiety is fear. And we've all got lots of reason to fear. If I was living in Lavender Hill, where 42 murders happened in nine days, I want to tell you, I'd be scared. I don't know how everybody in that community is not paralyzed the whole time with fear. Amazingly, they aren't. But fear is, sometimes it's perfectly reasonable to fear, but for some people, it just takes over their life. And quite honestly, they don't know why they're so scared. It's unreasonable to be scared, but they're just scared all the time, they're scared. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and I checked his pulse because I had to fill in a form for I checked his pulse. His pulse was going like a steam train. Okay. Now I'm not scary. Perfectly normal, healthy situation. I know he hasn't got heart disease. His heart was his pulse was racing because he was anxious. Okay. He was anxious. Some people, they have physical symptoms, they can't breathe, they get a notch in their throat, they get a knot in their stomach. Um, Their heart is racing, their palpitations, they they shake, they feel weak, they get dizzy, and so on. That's severe anxiety, but for many people it's not that, it's just feeling scared. And that goes along very often with depression. And your question, what are we going to do about it? How can we help that? So a lot of people got problems like that. Maybe one in ten. I'm just looking at my screen here. How many people are there here? I'm certain there's a number of you here who are depressed. Just looking at the numbers here, there's probably three or four people. If this was an odd sample and not a talk about depression, there'd be three or four or five people here who are either depressed now or have been in the past. Probably a third of us have got anxiety to a significant degree. And the question, what do you do about it? What do you do about it? I want to suggest there's a couple of things that you should do and maybe you have done already if you're depressed or you're anxious. First thing you need to do is you need to talk to God about it. We should do that with everything. And it sounds a bit stupid to say that because of course the person's prayed about it. But if you're anything like me, I often only pray about things afterwards. Okay? I only pray as a last resort, as a last thought. Hey, maybe I should pray about this. Because I'm stupid and I've got a heart like concrete. I've only been a Christian for 49 years and I haven't learned but the first thing we should do is we should talk to God about it and to Him about it. Why? Because I want to tell you, if you don't talk to anybody, there is nobody that is more kind and more loving and more concerned than God is. That is true. It really is true. So that's the first thing we do we talk to God. Second thing we do, we really should talk to some friends about it. Now, women will do that usually, and men usually won't. So men, when they're depressed, you usually just say nothing. And often the first time anybody knows that they were depressed, they find their dead body and they commit suicide. If you're a guy and you're depressed, for goodness sake, talk to somebody. Anybody, anybody, it doesn't mean to be a rocket scientist. You talk to anybody who cares, you talk to them. Talk to Martin, talk to your pastor, talk to someone at the church, talk to your friend, talk to your cousin, talk to somebody about it. You need somebody, you can't handle these things by yourself. And then I would suggest you need to talk to a doctor. If talking to other people and talking to the Lord hasn't solved the problem, it's worth talking to a doctor because thankfully in the last 50 years, doctors have got resources to help people who are depressed and they're resources that really work. Now, sometimes it's good to spend hours talking to people, but to be honest, I don't have a lot of time to spend hours talking to people who are depressed. But tablets really, really help with depression. And they really make a big difference. And we can talk about that. But tablets for depression, they're not strange things. They're no different from any other tablet. But they really do help, And they can make you feel so much better. I'm just thinking of a message I got from somebody the other day. who came to see depressed. Young woman in her early 20s message 10 days later, I'm feeling so much better. I'm feeling so much better. And you often have people tell me that. Some people's depression is difficult to shift. Some people are depressed and it's a battle to try and shift their depression. But for most people, depression actually lifts for their own treatment. And whether you're depressed because of COVID or because of your aunt, or because you've been depressed for years, this wasn't meant to treat it anyway i've been talking for far too long we've run out of time but <clears throat> questions any questions is there just, anybody uh, there yeah
1: no <laughs> we're here they just muted they just muted dr chris uh thank you so much for that insightful and very encouraging um, um talk i especially loved it when you mentioned that God is one by one bringing people to himself and changing um, our nature. Sorry, let me put my video on. And that we still live in a broken world. And, um, you know, there's a variety of reasons that people are anxious and depressed, but we can always come talk to God and talk to um, other people um, about where we are. Um, just before we get to uh, fielding uh, a few questions, we are just going to quickly as a segue, watch um, a small video um, and this um, speaks to um, our story. And this is just one person's story who has, whose life has been changed by um, Christ um, from our family at CCM. So we're just gonna quickly engage that story.
3: hi my name is Tasha and this is my story um so my story starts i think in 2014 i was in grade 11 so 16 17 and before then i um we grew up in a church and to some extent i believed in So I definitely believed in God, but I didn't really know what Christianity entailed but I would have said for sure I was a Christian. And then in 2017, like any more teenager, there was just like weird stuff happening in my life and I was really confused. um, And just like wrestling with life and just like trying to find my place in the world. And then we started coming to Christchurch. And everything was about Jesus from like the. Um, songs to the prayers to the sermon and I was genuinely confused because I was like why is everything about Jesus like why is he so important like what did he do and I was like I didn't care but I was just trying to figure out why every Sunday they were talking about Jesus and then I was at teen church and the pastor at the time Kieran was teaching and he he said um when you become a christian you will see things from jesus's perspective you'll have like jesus's glasses or binoculars and i remember where i was sitting and i just remember sitting there being like i'm i'm not a christian and it was heartbreaking because everything i had kind of this identity i would painted for myself was like shattered and i had a very dramatic walk home and i googled how do you become a christian and i prayed the prayer but i still it felt like a task coming to church every Sunday and reading my bible i hated it and i was bored and i still didn't understand why jesus like was important then on christmas eve um i saw someone posted something about isaiah 9 and i thought oh i'll read that and then on christmas morning i did and for months and months i couldn't figure out how jesus was why jesus was important and then i read isaiah 9. And i was like oh my goodness this is about jesus like it just finally clicked and then i came to church and martin was preaching about why jesus needed to come and he talked about how grace was god's unmerited favor and as i walked home from church that day i just knew my life had changed forever and that i belonged to jesus and from that day onwards like before i had struggled to read the bible now i would spend hours just reading it and just like falling in love with god and understanding the biblical narrative and how it unfolded and i was like i get why jesus had to come and i understood why i was a sinner and the gospel was just the best thing i had ever heard and i just wanted to hear it every single day so since then um just so you know i think we know that jesus died on the cross for our sins but since then i've been really understanding how the gospel intersects with my life and what that means day to day and how to live for him eternity and what that means and how to live with Jesus coming back in mind and yeah just applying the gospel to my life you know it's not um, just a story of him dying for me but it has implications for how I live today and how I can approach God and the confidence I can have with approaching God and the love that I have with God so no matter what happens in my life I'm really secure knowing who I am in Christ and what he's done for me and that security has grown from when I was 17 to now, and I've really just grown to love God more and more, and find my identity and my security in Christ and what He's done for me. Um, yeah, and it's—I mean, it's—it's it's really challenging to be like a 20-something as a Christian, but it's—I'm really glad that my security is in Christ and not in the world and what the world says about me. Yeah.
0: Well, that
1: was Tasha's story um, about her journey at Christ Church and how she came to Christ. Um, that was just to give us a, a few minutes to be able to send some of those questions to to Dr. Chris. So, um, Dr. Chris, I'm just going to, I've received a few questions here. I think we can uh, field one or two. Um, a question from David has uh, been posed as, has, has COVID caused a lot of mental illnesses and depression and how do I know if I'm depressed or just generally feeling down?
2: Firstly, about COVID, it's an interesting thing. Some people have said, you know, it's caused an epidemic of psychiatric problems and so on. My personal experience of the people that I've seen is that it's caused difficulties for some people and not for others. And so, you know, some people are really shy and they find going out into social situations quite stressful. So in some ways, working from home and working at the end of a computer is almost easier. And so for some people, it's meant loneliness. Strangely, sometimes introverted people who are not terribly sociable find their loneliness worse, okay? Because we have the idea that introverted people actually don't want to spend time with people, they do want to spend time with people, but not lots on them, right? And but so I think it it varies very much from person to person. Um, but the as far as how do you know when you're depressed? My own feeling is it's not so much a matter of saying, "Am I this or am I that?" It's rather a matter of saying. Am I struggling and am I finding I get very down, I get very sad, I can't sleep, I'm really feeling miserable? And often, quite some people have been depressed for years, but often a useful thing is to say, How am I feeling right now? And how was I feeling six months ago? Am I feeling different? For some people, they go through life and they're fine, and then they hit a patch where they feel terrible. Now, for some people, it's spectacular. Uh, there's a lady we know who who had an episode of depression. Her mm-hmm. husband had just died actually, but it had happened to her once before. And it was like she'd fallen off the roof of the building. I mean, she just went into depression. She was fine. And then, then within a matter of a day or two, she just dropped. Okay? Now, for some people, it's like that. For other people, they say, I don't know what it is, but I'm really feeling bad. I know for me, I got depressed. It was about a dozen years ago. And I said to my wife, it was over Christmas, and I said to her, look, I, I think I'm going to put myself on some tablets. And she said, well, yeah, it's a big decision. What are you going to do? I said, look, I write them up for other people all the time. And I'm just feeling lousy. I don't know whether I'm formally depressed, you know, if I ticked all the boxes and all the rest of it, but I don't know. All I know is I'm feeling lousy. I'm feeling really lousy. And, you know, I put myself on some meds. And it was about six weeks later, I put." I haven't felt as happy as this in 20 years, and so it's, the the real question is, am I feeling all right or actually have I got to say I'm feeling really bad, I'm feeling really bad, I'm not functioning well, for some people they get angry, for some people, the people around them see the depression more than they do. and. They started to get angry. They're irritable. They're always biting people. They're being aggressive. They're complaining and all the rest of it. They say, what's going on? Depression can often express itself like that, particularly with men, but sometimes with women. Yeah. You know? And I sometimes said in public, and I'm saying it now, if you won't take pills for your sake, take them for your wife's sake, for goodness sake. You know, I said that on one occasion and a guy phoned me up a few weeks later. He was actually a minister. and uh, he phoned me up and he said, Do you remember you said that? He quoted it to me and I could hear his wife laughing in the background. And 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 he said, Can I come talk to you? And he was depressed, but his depression was anger. He was just really angry at some things that had been done to him. He just couldn't bring it under control. Sure. It's not an easy thing. All, all I'd want to say, if a person's saying, I I really am struggling, I'm really not happy. I wonder why I'm living, I'm not enjoying life, I don't enjoy life. In the past. I really would like to do something to make it better. Then I say, no, you need to talk to somebody. Yeah. And don't worry about a diagnosis. If you feel like that, you need to talk to somebody. Sure,
1: sure, very, that was very helpful. Um, I think um, I'm gonna to jump to our second question, uh, Dr. Chris. Um, this question, well, it's, it's coming out In different forms, but I'll try to paraphrase it. Um, For the average person, um, what do you do when someone shares um, with you about the fact that they're depressed? How do you relate to them? How do you engage with them? What's the way to go about it?
2: Yeah. Just just a couple of thoughts there. bear in mind that what they're saying is something that many people could say. Maybe if you've been depressed, you kind of know. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you can relate because you'll say, boy, do I know it. Actually, I can remember three years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. But if someone's asking a question like that, it sounds like they probably haven't been depressed themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a danger question. You've got to say, is this person so depressed that they're going to hurt themselves? That they might take their life? That that's a big question. But for most people, that's not the case. That's a question I often say, and I'll just answer that one first because that often sort of worries someone, particularly if you're involved in counselling, you're a teacher, or something like that. You fear that sort of situation. And I normally say to someone who's a counsellor or someone talks like that, and they, you know, a student at university. You know, spoken to campus students over the years who were depressed and so on. And for me, the, the, the thing is, if you are scared that that person might hurt themselves, you, you're scared and you worry that they might attempt suicide or something like that, then I, I would suggest you need to encourage them, if they're young, to tell their parents or some older person they can be responsible for them. Uh, or... You know, you don't see a doctor, you pass on the responsibility. So, if you're talking to people and there's a crisis, if you're worried, don't carry the responsibility yourself. You mustn't carry the responsibility yourself. You pass them on to somebody who's, who's better able to help. Contact the pastor, contact. You know. But most of the time, it's not like that. And the, the practicality is that for most people who are down and depressed, they need kindness. And I've felt for many of my patients, what can I give them? Well, I write up tablets for them, but actually, maybe I'm the only person that ever shows them any kindness. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people, they need kindness. They need somebody to listen. You say, but I don't know what to tell them to do. Well, actually, that doesn't matter, really. Often people work out what they're going to do by talking it. Mm -hmm. So you can offer suggestions, but what matters more than anything else, that you're gentle, that you're kind, that you listen, that you care, and that you genuinely care. And and hopefully pray that afterwards. But so I think the, i tell you what's also true. If you've ever struggled with depression or anxiety, I've many times said to people, listen, the Lord is preparing you ministry in the future. And if you've been depressed, you understand it. If you've walked a road, you understand it. You know, When I was a student, a medical student, my grandmother died and while I was resuscitating her, my mother collapsed and died in front of me too. I understand what it means to have people die, to have personal loss, to be bereaved. Boy, has that been helpful to me over the years. Just to be able to say to somebody, Almost like I've been there. And so, if you struggle with feeling sad or depressed or anxious, and you say, I'm no good, I get depressed myself, I say, No, that's what makes you good. <laughs> that's what makes you good because you understand. Yeah. Mm. And so, my feeling is you sit and listen and you talk to people, you hear what they've got to say, you show them sympathy, you show them care. And uh, mm. And if you think, hang on, this is quite serious, you either pass them on to a pastor, or you might Mm say, don't see a doctor now. Don't see a doctor. That's what doctors are for, that's the job. You know, tablets really, really can. They really can. Sure, sure, sure. Uh,
1: um, and I mean, I think it's just as a a bit of a follow-up, maybe related to what you were talking about now. that, so someone's asking, Christians particularly have um, uh, sort of a behavior of pretending that they are fine most of the time. So we, we're we not very good at sharing or wanting to come out just, you know, because one might feel like they will be judged for struggling with anxiety and depression. And so how can we encourage people um, to, to share their struggles or create a space where people can feel safe enough to share their struggles? And um, secondly, are there any examples from the Bible about mental illness or anxiety or depression that we can learn from?
2: I understand that quite often Christians feel we're supposed to walk around with a big smile on our face to convince everybody we're full of joy and peace and they must come rushing into the church. Well, actually, if if you walk around with a soppy smile on your face, people probably run in the opposite direction. Okay? Um, you need to be who you are. If you're happy, then you smile because you're happy. If you're not happy, you're not happy. Um, mm-hmm. If you're seriously not happy, you need to try and fix it. And this is one of the reasons that I think antidepressants are a good idea because sometimes people get really depressed and down. And it doesn't help them spiritually either. You know, the fruit of the mm-hmm. spirit is joy and peace. And the... And you say, well, can you generate the fruit of the spirit with tablets? I say, well, sometimes people don't have the capacity to have joy and peace because their brain's not working properly. Now, take some pills and get your brain sorted out, and then you can experience. I remember one guy being very depressed and battling with his job and so on, and I put him on some tablets, and a couple of weeks later, he said, you know, this week I've had three of the best five times I've had since I can remember, you know? The cloud had lifted and suddenly he was able to feel joy and peace. You know, his joy and peace fits in his brain and just stopped working. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so the I think it's important for us to be real. I think it's important for us to be real. If you're feeling depressed, like I say, I put myself on tablets on several occasions. Okay. Now it's easy for me, I just write up a prescription and swallow the pills. Okay. And uh, but I, I say that openly. I also take tablets for high blood pressure and, and uh diabetes, but you know, tomorrow they're just the same. Huh? You know, when you're as old as me, you'll also be taking tablets. Live with it, okay? And be and I think we just need to be open about it. And you know, the Christian life is what it is, and if we just honest with people, it's, it's so much better. You know? We, we don't need to live in some, we don't need to create some sort of an act of sort of specially holy or something, you know. I think the most holy people are not even conscious that they exist. The pastor of our church, I think he, I wonder if he's conscious that he exists. He's just not, con- I don't think he ever thinks about how holy am I. He just, he just is. He just is. He's just a lovely guy who's deeply concerned about other people. And uh and I think that's what that's healthy spirituality. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: um, I think I'm gonna stop us there for for tonight. Um, I just want to say on behalf of on behalf of everyone, thank you so much, Dr. Chris. That was very insightful and helpful. Um, and there are some comments um in the chat that I'm sure um you can check. Um I'm seeing one right now on someone who's just said, I'm on anti-anxiety tablets, which I fought for years. And while they haven't solved everything, they've allowed me to sleep well. And thank you for destigmatizing taking medication, um, which is something South African men struggle with a lot. Um, and uh, you know, that's that's one comment that there um for you, Doc, Dr. Chris. Um yeah, I think. Uh, without going too far. Thank you for for sharing with us um, and uh, shedding a lot of light, especially on uh, mental illness, illness and anxiety. For some of us, you know, we wouldn't even know where to start and how to engage um, with difficult topics like that. So just really wanting to thank you. And um, we continue to pray that God will continue to use you in people's lives, and especially helping in this in this area. So thank you very much for that.
0: Well,
2: can, can I just comment there in that regard? I think, I just find it so sad that people have got such a, an emotional, spiritual hang-up about taking tablets for depression and anxiety. I find it so sad because, you know, not every tablet works for everybody, but they're just tablets hey eh? You know, you're not mm-hmm. mainlining heroin, you know? And people's lives, and I think often, sometimes when people are desperately depressed, they're gonna end up on medication anyway. But I think there's a lot of people who are living life at 30% and they would never think of taking tablets. I don't know if it's a pipe mm. or whether it's a, they're scared of the tablets or they're to get addicted or whatever. Well, there's some tablets you get addicted too, but most of them you don't. And you, you can ask the doctor, is it, you she writes them up for you. But I think we need to say, listen, you know, listen, I take tablets, if I say to you, I'm taking tablets for my high blood pressure, and you think the man's a freak, you say, no, you don't at my age. More than half of people are taking tablets for blood pressure. But if I say I'm taking tablets for depression, people say, he's a nutcase. I So it's not a nutcase, join the team, you know. The world is divided into two groups of people, those who have psychiatric diagnoses and those who cause the psychiatric diagnoses, okay? And the, uh, you know, the reality is psychiatric diagnoses are everywhere. And it's part of life, it's part of the fall. I've got a big cavity in my tooth right now. I'm not embarrassed about that. You can't smell my bad breath over over Zoom, so that's fine, you see? But the, the, the practicality is that feeling depressed, feeling anxious is just a of one, and the tablets work, and it's the Lord's grace. And the Lord provides these things and you say, no, I wouldn't take those. And you say, do you know who designed that molecule? And do you know who made that molecule and left it somewhere for some mad scientist to discover? Like, it's the Lord's grace. Anyway, I've spoken too long. Okay.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> I think we've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed it. And uh we are hoping that we, we are on the side of the people that are not gonna cause um any any no. anyone to, to be on that side. And so um that's that's it for from us today. I'm just gonna ask David to close David Kobedi, that is, to close off for us um with prayer. And uh Dr. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um <clears throat> Yeah, and uh, we, 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 we also thank God that we can't smell each other's breaths on over Zoom. But, but yeah. thanks, everyone. Please continue to sanitize. I'm going to hand over to David, who's going to close off for us uh,
0: in prayer. Thank you, Tebza. And thank you, uh, Dr. Chris. Let me um, lead us in prayer. Um, Father, thank you so much for uh, your great story um, of how you are working in the world a world that's full of brokenness. Um, And thank you for uh, everything that you've done uh, on all your wisdom in governing our world, uh, in raising up uh, people who um, study your creation and come up with um, all sorts of great medication um, to deal with the brokenness of our world. Uh, But most of all, thank you, uh, for Christ, who, as Dr. Chris said, uh, promises us um, a world uh, that is perfect, a world where there is no suffering, uh, so we thank you that um, because of Jesus, um, we can have this assurance that we, if we believe uh, in him we will um, we will taste and see that world. so I do pray for us uh, for those who are Christian and those who are not, uh, to trust uh, in Jesus, um, to trust in him, uh, for that world where there is no suffering, uh, and no, no pain or depression. Uh, these things we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Amen.